Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today we continue our chat on dialectical behavioral therapy, or DBT, with Maggie Boyer. We're going to talk about interpersonal skills, what we've learned, and what we're currently working on. Since last week was part one and this week is part two, we're just going to jump right into the episode. We hope you enjoy it. The last section of skills that we're going to cover today in DBT is interpersonal skills. So when we're dealing with trauma or post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, pain, anger and irritability are really common feelings to come up for us, as is avoiding any kind of conversations that may be conflict or may be hard to have. And some of us may explode with anger when we have these situations happen to us or we're in a lot of stress or very overwhelmed. Some of us may completely shut down and not speak up about things that bother us. And these ways of acting can actually hurt our relationships with the people around us that we care about. And DBT teaches us interpersonal skills for how to communicate effectively with others on both sides of the spectrum. So Maggie, I would love to know one of the interpersonal skills that you're working on and how it's made an impact on your relationships. I am working on prioritizing things because we've talked a little bit about perfectionism and I am a perfectionist that thinks I can get everything on my to-do list done, even if I made the to-do list that was impossible to get done, knowing that. Even if I said, I'm only going to do half of what's on my to-do list, I see that it's on my to-do list and then I want to do all of it. So that can like really wear me down. It doesn't seem like it would be an interpersonal skill to prioritize the things that I'm doing like in my rest of my life that aren't even with people, but really like prioritizing if I'm going to clean or cook or, you know, do the litter or which activity I was going to do just chores wise helped my interpersonal relationships because I'm not as worn down and I'm still really bad at this skill, which is why it's the skill I'm working on. But instead of wearing myself out, I can prioritize one or two physical things that I actually have energy for my interpersonal relationships. Maggie, I think that's a really great thing to work on is prioritizing what you want to do so that even when you can't get everything done on your super long, impossible, perfect, not so perfect to-do list, even when you can't get everything done, you, you know, can feel less worn down because you got done what was most important to you for the day, or at least you chipped away at what was most important to you. As someone who also makes very long to-do lists that 
don't get done in the time that I always think that they're going to get done, I also have found that prioritizing what's important to me and just focusing on that makes me feel like a lot more loving in my relationship with my partner. Because if I'm really focused on my to-do list my and my partner comes and it's like, oh, I want to give you a hug. And I'm just like, get off of me. I'm busy doing stuff, you know? And it's like, wait a minute. Aren't I always talking about slowing down, being intentional, being mindful? And then I get like sucked into the vortex of my to-do list and I'm sitting there doing something that like is really important to me. But if I take a look at the big scheme of things, I'm like, Amy is cleaning the fridge for the second time this week. Really more important than giving your boyfriend a hug for just like a couple of seconds. And then I have to separate myself like the, you know, they say like the human doing and the human being. So when you said that, it just really made me think of like how not being so obsessed with getting my to-do list done has actually made my relationships a lot better because it's made me be more present. And I've talked about this, I think, in a previous episode, but it's also helped me be able to find more relaxation in my body when it comes to being intimate with my partner. Because there were times when, you know, already I think for many of us, like for myself, you know, having sex and being intimate with my partner can bring up a lot of negative emotions for me because there's pain involved, there's some past trauma there. It's not so easy, I think, for me to just be like, yes, let's, you know, go be intimate as it is for my partner who's just like, yeah, come on, let's, you know, get in bed. And I'm like, and I have a lot of feelings I have to process around the experience. And what makes that even harder is when I'm not being mindful. And I'll find that we're like kissing, we're starting to get into the mood, but I'm off in my head. I'm off in my head with my to-do list. You know, I'm off in my head, like thinking about, oh, when we finish, I want to get this thing done or you know, I'm not in the moment. I'm just already like in my mind, the moment ended. And I find I sometimes do the same thing when it comes to like doing yoga. You know, I'll be on the mat, but I'll be off in my head being like, okay, when this 20 minute practice is over, I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this. And I'm like, no, Amy, you have 20 minutes. You have allotted in your day, this 20 minutes to do the yoga. So like be with yoga and be with your mat because 20 minutes is going to go by whether you're present Or whether you spent 20 minutes in your mind in the future, like cleaning the toilet. So like, why clean the toilet twice, once in your mind and once like actually cleaning it? Why not do yoga and then clean the toilet later? So yeah, that's been really helpful for me. What about you, Brittany? Is there interpersonal skill that you're working on? So what I'm working on actually has an acronym to it. It's a skill and it's called the FAST skill, F-A-S-T. And they all stand for something different. And I'll explain what they stand for and then what I'm working on once I do that. So the F stands for be fair. The A stands for no apologies. The V for values, sticking to your values. And T for truthful, being truthful. And the FAST skill is really effective for talking about your problems and what you're dealing with while having integrity and self-respect and not sacrificing those things, and not dismissing or diminishing yourself, but also being vocal and sharing the problems that you're having. So for me, this is something that's hard, because when I get into conflict, I tend to shut down. Some people get really angry. Some people cry. I tend to completely shut down, as in everything's turned off. 
I'm a hollow shell. The lights are on, but no one's home. That's kind of what happens to me when I'm in a conflict. And that is a trauma response that I've had my whole life and still learning and unpacking that, which is why I'm working on this as a skill, as an interpersonal skill, because it's not conducive to a conversation to have the other party shut down. And so it's very hard for me to continue conversation because that's a natural defense mechanism. It's kind of like I close the battlement to the castle and I'm safely away inside, but that means that I can't be truthful to the other person that I'm talking to. And it's not fair because I'm not able to have that back and forth of conversation. I'm not able to validate my feelings or validate the feelings of the other person that is having the conversation with me. So this is something I'm working on because I've noticed that I tend to, some people tend to overshare. I tend to not share at all. (laughs) And when I mean not share at all, I literally mean not share at all. Somebody could tell me a hundred things about them and I'll have nothing to say about myself. And that's not because I don't think I have anything worth saying. It's just because I tend to always be a receiver and never reciprocate. And that can also be not fair because the other person feels like I'm not listening or I'm not caring or, and it's also not truthful. And it's also not true to my values because I believe that a relationship is a two-way street. And how can you have a relationship if one person is never reciprocating or never giving, only receiving? So this is something that I'm working on and it's very difficult because it goes against my natural inclination, my natural reaction. That was a learned trauma response. And so that's something that I hope to help with my relationships as it's been a common theme in my life of why don't you ever tell me anything (laughs) is a phrase that has been repeated to me by many people. So I'm hopeful that this will help me to have better and stronger interpersonal relationships. And I think it's something that isn't just me. It's a common thing that people shut down when overwhelmed with emotions or in conflict, or maybe not even in conflict. They just may naturally live in a state of having their borders and boundaries closed. So the fast skill is something that is a really effective tool and effective learning technique. I loved that. And I'm so happy for you because like, and proud of you for trying to unlearn things is really hard when there's something that's like ingrained in you from how you've been doing something for so long. So that's awesome. So it's also really great that you talked about that because that goes along with my favorite skill. My favorite skill is called Dear Man for interpersonal skills. When do you use Dear Man? Let's let's start there. So you use Dear Man when you want something, when you have something to ask from someone, when you're having a conflict with them. Basically, whenever you're asking anything from someone, you can use Dear Man. So it goes about by describing the situation, only the facts. So the actual facts of what happened and really taking your emotions out of it. And then you can explain your emotions. That's E, explain your emotions. Then you ask for what you want and then you reinforce why you're asking. So like say I was asking my partner to spend 10 minutes before bed reading with me because It made me feel like we were doing something other than watching TV. This is just a random example. I could reinforce it by saying, you know, it would make me feel like we had a lot more quality time in our relationship, or it would make me feel like we were closer or, you know, but then it goes into the man is to be mindful, appear confident, 
and to be willing to negotiate. So being able to be willing to concede part of what you're asking for, but also like knowing that you deserve to ask for it. So you can do it either in a fast way or a give way. And fast is like Brittany was saying, it's really putting your self-respect above the relationship. Whereas a dear man give is to put the relationship above what you're asking for and really wanting to improve the relationship. And that's why you're asking for something. Whereas if you're using fast, you're asking for something because you, your self-respect demands it, you know? So give stands for to be gentle, interested, validate them and being easy mannered. So if you're asking for something, instead of being more like, not going to take no for an answer. And, you know, I'm really standing up for myself. It's more like, Hey, I totally understand how you feel. I I wanted to hear you out, but you know, this is what I'm asking for. Yeah. I think it's really good to be able to be clear about the situation because whenever I'm writing a dear man, it makes me think about the situation more clearly and take my emotions out of it and really understand that like, maybe I am asking for something that is too much and go ahead and negotiate with myself too. And really evaluate what I really actually want to ask for, what I actually need in a situation or relationship. After I heard you talking on another podcast, Maggie, about DBT and I just, everything that you were saying, just like today really resonated with me. I just really wanted to learn DBT more deeply and to go deeper into these concepts. And I got a workbook for a DBT that we're going to talk at the end a little bit about resources to help us find these tools and to help us learn more about DBT if that's what we're interested in. So I got this workbook from the library and, you know, it talked about the four skills that we've talked about today, acceptance, mindfulness, emotional regulation and stress tolerance skills. And then finally, it had this long chapter on interpersonal skills. And I was so, first, I was like a little surprised, like, why would they have a chapter on communication and interpersonal skills and like improving your relationships and improving how you communicate with the world in a book about acceptance and mindfulness. But as I was going through the workbook, I just realized how vital and how integral it is to learn how to communicate with others. Because first of all, just like not knowing ourselves, like what you were saying was, am I asking too much? Or what am I really asking? Or am I, as Brittany was saying, you know, am I always receiving? Am I ever giving? Am I being true to myself? There's so many skills that can add those extra layers of emotional suffering on top of what we're already going through, on top of the situations and the challenges that we're already facing. I think something that we talk about often on the podcast is like having those feelings, for example, of being a burden with our endometriosis and not wanting to ask for help or feeling like if we ask for help, we're asking for too much. And something that the DBT workbook talk about was actually a skill of being more assertive and recognizing my needs. And it was talking about how one of the biggest obstacles of being assertive is feeling undeserving and feeling like our needs don't deserve to be met or that they're inconvenient. But when actually our needs do deserve to be met because 
we're human beings and we are just as important as everyone else on this earth. So, you know, we would meet our loved ones needs and we would want our loved ones to ask us for help and we wouldn't find them a burden, but we can feel, and we should feel that same way about ourselves because we're also human beings that, you know, we're all interconnected. So it's been really interesting to learn more about how improving interpersonal skills can actually help me, not just with my relationships, but can help me with my experience with endometriosis, because now I'm not scared to ask for help like I used to be scared. You know, now I'm not scared anymore to advocate for myself, like in the workplace or with my doctor. I share more about my illness with my friends, but I feel like I've reached a point where I don't feel like I'm oversharing, which is what I used to feel like I was doing, but like, I didn't know how to stop sharing like about all my blood clots and diarrhea. Like it just would like all come out in this big ramble. And then afterward, I feel really guilty, but I'm also not shutting down, which is something that, you know, Brittany said she has trouble opening up. So it's like with ourselves trying to find that balance in all the different aspects of our life, including in our relationships and how that can help us have a better experience with endometriosis, a better experience with our challenges and a better experience with our lives. I loved you talking about it, how it could impact your endometriosis care. Cause I think that it really can, like even just going back to the dear man skill a little bit, you can even take something like that to your doctor. I think that's something that was really helpful listening to your podcast in the beginning was knowing how to describe the different kinds of pain. And that goes back into the D of dear man. Describe what kind of pain you're in when you go to your doctor. Say it's stabbing in my pelvis. It feels like acid. There is a pinching feeling, a burning, you know, use those descriptive words and then ask for what you need. I need a ultrasound. I need an MRI. I need this medication. I need a laparoscopy. I need a referral, whatever you need from your doctor. And knowing, like you said, that because you're a human, you inherently deserve that. And you inherently deserve that care is really important. And I think it goes back to like, we are all interconnected. DBT has a list of assumptions at the beginning that you learn about the world and that like, If you go into any situation with these assumptions, it can make you more dialectical, more balanced, more grounded with it. And and one of them is that we are all interconnected and that like you're touching the same ground that someone else is touching. And even if you are not, your feet aren't in the grass, your feet are on the couch that's touching the house that's touching the ground. You know, everything really is interconnected and we all are as well. And yeah, just knowing that you inherently deserve care because you're connected to everybody else. So we've talked about all of the skill categories with DBT and explained a little bit about DBT and what all of those mean. And to kind of wrap up here, I'd love Maggie, if you could talk a little bit more about some things that you think are helpful about DBT or extra things that you want to share things that we should keep in mind when starting to explore DBT or using DBT for ourselves. I want you to know, especially as we talked a lot about acceptance, that you don't have to radically accept abuse. You don't have to radically accept poor care being the standard. Those are things that deserve change and you deserve preserving your self-respect and your health above all else. So 
when we're talking about radical acceptance, it's not to say that you have to accept and be okay with the standard of care for endometriosis or your personal standard of care. Also, none of this happens overnight. Take it slow. It's just like endo. It's just like any skill you learn or long journey you're on. It's a workbook for a reason. It takes time. Use the skills that you've learned here that you like the most or seek out other skills and pick the ones that you think will make the most difference first and really master them. Use them when you feel good, not just when you feel bad, because using them when you feel good will make them easier to use when you feel bad. But it's okay if learning all these skills takes months or years or the rest of your life. Same with your endo care. It's okay. I think something really important that you said is use these skills when you're in a good moment as well, because the more that we practice skills like these, then when we're in a moment of crisis, the easier it is to fall back on these skills because these skills in themselves, these practices then become a habit. And I think, at least thinking for myself, I can say that 10 years ago, my habit was that when something made me upset, I just got really angry and I threw things and I screamed at people and I broke things. And then my relationships, see the interpersonal skills coming back there, then my relationships suffered and a lot of my friendships crumbled and burned because of my behavior that stemmed from anger. And, and then I would be upset and then I would go online and I would shop and I would do retail therapy and then I'd have no money and then I couldn't get treatment. And it was just this like awful self-destructive loop. and. Now, my habit is so different. Like my habit is pausing when I'm upset, using my distraction techniques, using my healthy coping mechanisms, and then coming back and handling the situation intentionally in the ways that I want when I'm back in that window of tolerance that I'm able to do that. And so that's now a habit to me, but that wasn't a habit 10 years ago. And it took a couple of years to make it a habit. And of course, there are still times of emotional crisis where my first pull and my first inclination is, you know, to break a bunch of stuff and I have to take a pause. But as you said, like these are lifelong practices. And at first it can be really, really hard. I think at first it almost seems impossible to change the ways that we cope and the ways that we feel, but the more we do it, the easier it gets. And, and that in itself provides momentum because we see ourselves change and we see ourselves grow. And I think that also pushes us forward to keep wanting to change and want to keep growing. And our final question in this wonderful conversation about DBT surrounds phrases that we can say in a time of crisis. And I think what Maggie said and what Amy said is really important to think of these phrases when you're not in times of crisis. Think of these phrases when you're in good times so that you can have them in your arsenal for when you are in a time of crisis. So Maggie, I'd love if you could give us some of the phrases that you have used or are currently using. And will Amy and I will both share some and maybe they'll resonate with you listening or maybe you can come up with one of your own. There is no point in fighting the past and everything that happened in the past has led up to now. I can and I will protect myself in ways I was not protected in the past. 
I cannot be responsible for anyone else's happiness and they cannot be responsible for mine. I will be okay even though I feel anxious and scared. These are just thoughts and thoughts aren't always the truth. I have survived every single intolerable moment so far and I'm going to survive this one too. And I'm safe right now, even though I feel scared. Everything changes, life is impermanent, and things will change for me too. The situation will change, and I will get through this. Well, thank you so much for joining us today for this conversation around dialectic behavioral therapy. And thank you so much, Maggie, for joining us to talk about it and talk more in depth about what it is and how we can use it in our lives. A lot of the things that we've talked about today are things that all of us may have dealt with at one point or another or are dealing with right now. It's really hard to advocate for ourselves and to care for ourselves. And sometimes just getting to the point of being able to decide that we are worth doing something like DBT can take a long time to get there. And so as always, Amy and I remind you to be patient with yourself and to start small if this is something you're interested in exploring. It takes time to learn something new and it takes time to be compassionate to ourselves and it takes time to learn skills like this. They're actual skills and not something that we can get overnight, which is something we talked about earlier in the episode, but something worth mentioning is that for those of us out there that get easily frustrated when we don't get something immediately, remember that learning takes time and a lot of this learning also comes with unlearning other things, which can take even more time to do. So be patient with yourself if you're exploring DBT. There's so many resources that are available to you. There's apps, there's books, there's workbooks, which are super effective. Articles, there's a lot of information out there about DBT. And there's a different type of resource for everyone. And there will probably be one that will strike a chord for you. So I want to highlight that Maggie is actually a published author. And at this time, Maggie has written three incredible books of poetry. And we've also linked those in the show notes today. Do you want to talk for a minute about your poetry? Because I know I've actually read two of your books. One is When I Bleed, Poems About Endometriosis. And the other book that I've read is The Whole Story. And then recently you came out with Ungodly, which I still have to get my hands on. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your poetry before we end? Yeah, I just wanted to say to anyone who wants to explore poetry, who has questions about endo or DBT, you're welcome to reach out to me. Poetry is a great distraction method. So we talked about distraction earlier. And poetry is something that you can use to really describe your emotions and describe the physical sensations you're experiencing while also distracting yourself. So. I definitely love it and am very thankful that you guys had me on today. So thank you both for being also just like huge highlights of my life for the past few years. So thank you. I do want to mention about your poetry that I don't normally read poetry. Like I'm just not really drawn to poetry, but I took a chance on your poetry book when I bleed poems about endometriosis because I've been following you on Instagram and I just everything you say just really resonates with me and I have to say that it is a really relatable accessible poetry book that the poems are they just really speak to people with endometriosis 
and they really speak, at least to me, they've really spoken to me as someone who like is not a poet and not into poetry. Cause sometimes when I hear poetry, I feel a little bit like, oh, poetry. Like I just, sometimes I don't know if I can comprehend the poetry or if it's just going to be like too complicated for me to understand, but your poetry is not, it's just, it's really beautiful. It's really relatable. And I think it's just really good for every audience. So I just wanted to throw that out there because it's really wonderful. And I also think it's just really wonderful that you published a book of poems about endometriosis because we need to talk more about endometriosis in our daily lives and in different mediums. And everyone relates differently. Everyone learns differently. And the fact that there's now a poetry book out there about endometriosis is just so, so cool. Thank you. I'm smushy facing. Nobody else can see it, but I'm smushy faced. So thank you everyone so much for listening today. We really enjoyed this discussion with Maggie about DBT. And we're just so happy to bring Maggie on the show because Maggie was actually my first introduction to DBT. And doing workbooks on DBT, I realized that so much of it has been things that I've been learning through other avenues, but the fact that it just like has a name and that this is an actual practice that we can learn with, you know, workbooks and apps and support and a lot of it available for free or at a very low cost. We just wanted to bring that to everyone in case other people were looking for tools in their life to practice acceptance and mindfulness and emotional regulation skills. So thank you so much, Maggie, for coming on the show and for spending this time with us. And thank you to everyone for listening. And we will talk to you next time. 